Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. On Monday night, Tottenham went two points clear at the top of the Premier League with goals from James Madison and captain Song Hyung Min. Richardson into Son. Son sets himself and scores for Tottenham. Ange Postacoglu's squad may lack depth and experience, but is it time to take Spurs more seriously? And as expectation levels continue to rise, will Daniel Levy spend in January to help bolster a potential title challenge? I'm Michael Bailey. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Well, hello there. I'm joined for this one by the Athletics Tottenham correspondent, Charlie Eccleshare. Hello, Charlie. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. We've also got football writer Adam Crafton here as well. Adam, good day to you. Thank you. So, Tottenham, they are two points clear at the top of the Premier League after their 2-0 win over Fulham. That was their seventh win of the season. They're currently still unbeaten as well. Tottenham are absolutely flying. So, how are we assessing them beyond that, Charlie? How good are they? They are good. I think, broadly speaking, I think they've got a really good first eleven. If you want to talk about them as kind of title contenders, I think they'll have to get very lucky with injuries. But they're not in Europe. They're not in the Carabao Cup. So in theory, there should be less of a load. But they're doing brilliantly. And it shows how far expectations have changed in such a short space of time. We're talking about them potentially as title contenders when at the start of the season, when they just lost Harry Kane off the back of an eighth placed finish, I think most people are saying, well, if they get back into Europe, some sort of European competition, it'll be a good season. Lots of wins in in different ways. Routine wins, which is kind of what the Fulham game was. I think we probably all agree with that. Uh, They've had late wins. They've had wins over big teams, um, maybe lucky wins as well, if we talk about the Liverpool game. So it has been a great start across different various opponents and what have you. But what's your instinct with Spurs initially, Adam, in terms of where they are? It just kind of shows what's possible when really the key people at the club want to be there. right? Like last season, you looked at Spurs for most of the year. You saw a manager that didn't really seem to want to be there that much. And Antonio Conte, a, a, you know, a leading player in Harry Kane that didn't, you know, that didn't see his future at Tottenham. And I think even if those perform, individual performers can in their own way be excelling as Kane was, I think it still feeds into a culture that this isn't, you know, this isn't the best place that everyone could be. And now all of a sudden you've got a manager that's absolutely wants to be there and is building his own culture within the club and a younger, hungrier, revitalized squad. Look at players like um, Udogi and the go- I think the goalkeeper has been really good. Yeah. Vicario, Van der Ven, like none of them are perfect, but it all feeds into a culture of we're on this positive journey going somewhere and we can all get behind that between the fans and the team and the dugout. Clearly the boardroom, I think, still got a way to go, but it's better than it was three months ago. Yeah, and, and on that, a way that sort of crystallises that, the leadership group Spurs had last season was uh, Kane, Lloris, Dyer, and Hoybier. Kane's left, 
Lloris doesn't play. Dyer hasn't played a minute this season. And Hoybier is a sub, basically. That's an amazing amount of change in a short space of time. You think four players that made up the leadership group and it's been replaced by Son, who's come in, excelling as captain. James Madison, who's been... I mean, the way he settled has just been unbelievable. And Christian Romero, who looks like a player transformed. Um, and that's so true about the direction. Like, the fact that they're top of the league is amazing and brilliant. But even if they had a lot fewer points, if they were playing this way, I still think there'd be so much optimism uh, around the place because it's been a long time since you have had a manager who you really think does want to be there for the long haul or that, you know, that it's anything other than a kind of stopping off point. This really feels like they're moving in the right direction. And that's what's so exciting. You mentioned some of those people in the former leadership group. I mean, it probably emphasises why it's important they have made a fast start because if you don't manage that as a manager and then you've still got those players hanging around, that can be the sort of thing that causes you problems then, can't it? Yeah, totally. And it's, there's just no conversation about that. And even Harry Kane, honestly, he's just not really spoken about much at the moment if at all like it's just or Pochettino you know I was talking about this earlier Pochettino is going to be coming back with Chelsea in a couple of weeks which of course will be a huge story but no one's pining after him in the way that they were for for years really and that's all because under Postacoglu it just feels different and fresh and and positive I think even the players you know there were players that were already at the club that he has breathed new life into so you look at a player like Bissouma who I think everyone kind of knew from Brighton was was a really good player. And most people, so you're obviously closer to it, Charlie, but from the outside last season, it just looked so weird, right? Mm-hmm. This player who was kind of undeniably a really good midfield player just couldn't get himself sorted at Spurs and couldn't get a break. And now, I mean, he is almost like that cliched new signing, right, in the, in the centre of midfield. And saw alongside, you know, saw was brought in previously, right? Mm-hmm. And Udogi was brought in previously, was on loan. Pedro Porro looks like a totally different player. Like, I think it's not just a case of they've gone out and signed a few players. It's also, you get that feeling of, of energy when you see people, everyone improving, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one's underperforming who's starting games for Spurs. I mean, if we had Ange Postacoglu in here, in the studio with us. He was very he, welcome. He, <laughs> absolutely. Let's know Ange. Uh, he would talk about how early this is. He's got so much work he wants to mm-hmm. do and so much progress to be made. It's just the start. Yet they do look very cohesive. Is that a benefit of the fact that they are pretty much down to one game a week at the moment compared to their rivals? And I, I know they wouldn't have wanted to be knocked yeah. out of the Carabao Cup. No, I think it does make a huge difference. Um, and it is, it's... Um, it has clicked so much quicker than I and I think everyone thought. The thing that to me shows that he is very new as well is just that his squad is nowhere near where he wants it to be because he's had one transfer window. And it reminds me a little bit of where Liverpool were for that period where they still had players in the squad. You think like Mignolet, Carrius, Lovren, who weren't really clock players, but he was having to make do with them. Because I think other, other than that, it's hard to believe he has only been there for what, nine league games. But I do think, yeah, the full pre-season, having those three weeks, I do think that makes an enormous difference. But even with that, it's still been astonishingly quick when you're talking about, yeah, lots of players in roles that they're not used to necessarily, being asked to do things they're not used to. And it does speak to how well Ange backs those players. Something else potentially frightening is this little statistic in front of me, Adam, which suggests that Spurs have actually only got 29 league games left plus six potential FA Cup matches. That gives them a great advantage. And they're also getting games really spaced out. So they've got, before they play Chelsea on the Monday night game on November the 6th, their game before that is a Friday 
night game. So they've almost got this huge window to just prepare for this game, which I think will be quite emotionally charged at Tottenham yeah. as well. On that schedule point, I, I was looking at this and between September the 2nd when they went to Burnley and the 11th of November, the furthest set's travel was Luton. They barely left London in more than two months. It's incredible. When you, when you think of, uh, and especially this season, you've got, what is it, eight teams in Europe and Spurs aren't one of them. Yeah, that, that has to be an advantage, but they are massively taking advantage of it. I mean, when we ask about how sustainable this is in terms of early season form from Tottenham, we should bring up that according to Opta, uh, the average predicted position of each team's opponents to date has suggested that Tottenham have had the second easiest run of fixtures. Not the easiest, but the second easiest. They've had weird fixtures in a way because they've either had teams, they've, had, they've played all the promoted teams or teams that we think will struggle or the kind of big six, traditional big six games. What they haven't had is the, get the really sort of challenging tactical assignments like playing Unai Emery's Villa or Roberto de Serbi's Brighton or even Eddie Howe's Newcastle. And I think that will be really interesting to see how Postacoglu matches up against those teams and how well they adapt to him. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think there's also the advantage they have over Brighton, Villa, Newcastle, is that space. Yeah, right? totally. The space in the yeah, league, yeah, apart yeah. from Chelsea, yeah. who don't seem to be making that much use of it, they're the only ones that have that, have that advantage. Which is enormous because it is a big equaliser when you've played away on the Thursday night and then you're 2pm away at Wolves or whatever yeah. it is. I mean, we talk about the space of the fixture list, but there's also the squad itself and how deep the quality is in it. it Charlie mentioned that Hoiberg is basically a a sub these days but he did start against Fulham because of Yves Basuma's suspension and you wrote about that after the game as well how much is is the drop off between the two of those players because Hoiberg is a player I, I really like and enjoy watching it almost surprised me how he how he sort of lost his way in the spare side I do think it's huge like it's and it's really interesting because Hoiberg I, I talked about this in the piece he was kind of like a symbol of where Spurs have been the last three seasons no one's played more Premier League minutes for Spurs than him he was such a, an automatic starter under both Mourinho and Conte. And I think a lot of fans saw him as very aligned with them. He was very close with them. Some at the club, as I wrote in the piece, felt he was, could be a little bit sycophantic towards them even. Um, and I just feel as a player now, I think credit to him because he's a really good reserve option to have. But Basuma is just so good. And so for this piece, looked at some of the numbers and he is like top, one or two percentile or top 10 percentile in some of these metrics and across a range of different things, both for progressing the ball, both for winning it back. So I just think there is that drop and that's true in most positions. But, but I think as well, one thing that could really benefit them long term is that because they're not in Europe, they can afford to have a bit of a smaller squad. Had they been in the Conference League, they would have had to either hold on to some players or beef the squad up with kind of filler options because they didn't have the resources to go out and just buy loads of good players. And then you're left with those filler options. And we've seen with Spurs, with United, with basically every big club, selling Deadwood is bloody hard. Whereas now you'd think they can use these windows a bit more judiciously and only be bringing in players that and wants for the longer term. Do you think they'll do much in January? I wouldn't be surprised if they did a little bit because they, they didn't go crazy in the summer, which actually... I think I was guilty of thinking, oh, you know, they were probably one signing short. But I do think it meant they've got a little bit to play with in Jan. Would Daniel Levy make that decision, do you think, to loosen the purse strings? It's not something he's known to have done in the past. Well, I'm not sure who else he'd be asking anymore. Yeah. Given the ownership appears to have been transferred 
to this to this trust. So I'm not sure who would actually make that who would actually make that decision. It probably would come down to him. And he has a manager who he really believes in. You know, Postacoglu is very good at managing up as well. I think and he'll have so much goodwill by January. So I wouldn't be surprised if they bought one or two. And the it is just that age old thing where it is quite it is difficult to get value at that time. Although Spurs have shut, you know, they had that January a couple of years ago where they brought in Benson Kuhn and Kulisevsky and that basically got them Champions League football. They brought in Porro last sort of January, February window as well. So I think I think I wouldn't be surprised if there was another one like that. And it would be fair to say don't expect there to be a hundred million quid left over from the Harry Kane sale to spend because some of that was spent in they advance. Spent, they, yeah, and they, they did spend quite a lot in the summer in a fairly like low key way because they brought in a few like 40, 50 million pound players. If you think Madison, Van der Ven and um, Brennan Johnson, that was, that, was a, that was about 130 million. Plus then they brought in a couple of, you know, Vicario cost around 20 and there were other signings as well. So they... It felt like they didn't spend as much as they actually did. There, there will be some, but it's not, yeah, it's not going to be, it's just been sitting there. You know, because Brennan Johnson was 50 million after Kane went. What, what do you make of Spurs' squad depth as it stands, Adam? I mean, Mano Solomon and even Perisic both out injured. You look at how well James Madison has started, but you can see that he's a focal point. You look at centre-backs again, Christian Romero, Mickey van der Ven looked like a fantastic partnership, but then beneath that, we're getting back into, say, Eric Dyer coming back into the team. I don't think they're as strong as some of their rivals, but they've also just got, as we said, this huge advantage of playing a game a week. So unless they pick up, you know, really unfortunate injuries or unless they start doing odd things on the training ground, you know, from which they don't appear to be doing so far, then I don't really see it being an issue. And Charlie's right in that you don't want to bring in sort of players that are going to be really grumpy that they're not playing that one game a week just in case... James Madison, you know, you can't have another player as good as James Madison mm. just sitting on the bench, right? That's what they had with Harry Kane for years, that you could never get the backup striker. They would just have to find a different way to play. And I think that that's where, you know, they are quite unlucky with the Solomon and Perisic injuries, because if a Madison was to get injured, at least you could find a different yeah. way to set up or something like that. But I wouldn't, wor I wouldn't worry too much about that. And also, you look at Man City's squad for the last few years hasn't been massive and Pochettino when he was at Spurs didn't like to have a, a huge squad and I think even if it costs them in some you know what's it going to cost uh, I don't think they're going to fall out of the European places so okay the cost might be that they don't go into April in a title race and it ends up being March in, instead or something like that that they fall away fine in terms of the general trajectory I think it's far more important for Spurs this season that they have the right spirit unity Togetherness. I mean, you could see it even, I don't know what it felt like in the stadium last night, but just the way the players kind of loitered mm, after mm. the final whistle. I mean, after beating Fulham at home, like it was quite nice. Yeah, like, yeah. The whole thing just seemed quite pleasant at the moment to be around. After every game, it is like a proper celebration. And and I guess the previous three, yesterday was, a, was sort of the biggest example of that in a way, because of the three home games before that, one was a win against United. Obviously, that's great. The other two were like late, late wins. And so there's this huge emotional outpouring. Yesterday was the most routine home win. But even with that, you know, it's loads of fans were staying far more than you would normally, you know, on a Monday night, normally fans are rushing to get home and that's totally understandable. There were a lot more that stuck around. It's just great to see. Just want to touch on Eric Dyer. I mean, is, is we've mentioned uh, Hoiberg being able to come back in. Is, is 
you know, if, if heaven forbid one of the centre-backs, both the centre-backs gets injured, is there a route there for Eric Dyer to be playing for Spurs again? I mean, it's interesting because initially there was some suggestions that Ashley Phillips, even though he's so young and so inexperienced at this level anyway, you know, that he might come in. Then Dyer was on the bench and Phillips wasn't for a few and it kind of seemed like, oh, Dyer, it would be Dyer who'd be the kind of first reserve. I wouldn't be amazed if this were to happen if Ange did play Phillips just because Dyer is very unsuited to how to this high line that they want to play. And Ange Postacoglu is very, very keen on playing young players and refuting this idea that, you you know, you can't, you mustn't do that, especially with centre-backs. There's kind of unwritten rule, isn't there? It's like, oh, but you can't play a young centre-back because if they make an error, it will, lose their, it will destroy their confidence. But it won't destroy their confidence if there's a manager saying, don't worry about it. You know, mistakes are part of the game. As long as you're doing the right things, I'm going to back you. I think that that makes a massive difference because um, I do, I just think, you know, Dyer is a very reliable performer, but I think it would be asking things of him that he's not that comfortable with. Is, is Dyer the midfielder slash fullback over as a, as a concept at Spurs? It has been for a long time. Yeah. And again, now what's asked of that number six, that Basuma player, to take the ball in incredibly high-risk situations. Again, I'm not sure. But that's what... When, when he first came from Portugal, everyone was like, oh my God, yeah. he's this defender that can take the ball. He can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's used to playing in tight situations. It, show, it shows how much that's evolved. Though. I mean, I can almost imagine him more as that inverted fullback. Mm. I remember seeing him playing for Sporting Lisbon. I was checking out Ricky Van Wilswinkle. <laughs> um, yeah, you can all laugh at that one. That's fine. But the, the way that uh, Dyer was sort of bomb, bombing forward, getting up in support and, you know, he was covering a lot of ground. I think he was about 18 at the time. So maybe that was the point. But you just sort of wondered what, what would he be? But even, you know, just with how things were evolved, you think Lloris, when he joined Spurs, was seen as quite a modern keeper. Now feels like a complete anachronism. And again, having some like Vicario, who plays a lot further up the pitch. And, and Postacoglu's made a few comments about how, you know, that was the first signing, that was the first priority, basically, was getting in a keeper. So it shows like how important that is. Obviously, United with Onana. Uh, we've seen, obviously, at Arsenal, there's this like weird psychodrama going on. Like, it's, it's really important having a goalkeeper who can play that way, who can play further up the pitch, is comfortable with his feet. Spurs just couldn't play like how they're playing now without a goalkeeper. He's, he's, he's done really well. Like, when you look at the adaptation problems that, you know, Anana's had, that Raya's, it's a bit harsh on Raya, but that Raya has, the scrutiny at least, that, yeah. Raya, that Raya's had. The Sanchez, Sanchez at Chelsea, like it's very unusual the way Vicario has kind of just come in and know, he's had like a couple of moments that maybe could have gone the other way, but generally he's been really good. And I think Ange has also not kind of made it him or Lloris. He's just basically said it's him, right? And that's that's it. It's done. And Lloris just is kind of there, but nobody really. I think most people outside Spurs don't realise he's still there. He said that in literally his first press conference. Like he really did set that out, and then Larice didn't even travel on the preseason tour. So yeah, massive like. So what's he doing? What, what, what is what is Larice doing? Still training with the squad. Yeah, like they've tried to keep um, another change. Postecoglou's made is that rather than having like a bomb squad that was the case under Pochettino and other managers, he's tried to keep everyone engaged and still training with the main group. It's a very weird and awkward situation, but that and that is important with someone like Hoybier. I think uh, Postecoglou's done really well to keep him motivated because there were a lot of people at Spurs who I think were slightly bracing themselves for how Hoybier would be. You know, he's a 
he likes to be the big guy in the dressing, you know, his chest puffed out. It's a pretty, emba- you know, pretty embarrassing climb down for him from leadership group automatic starter to being a sub. And the fact that he has responded to it pretty well, I mean, he's obviously not happy about not playing, but he's engaged and committed. That is a credit to Postacoglu. And that is really important, especially when you are in that one game a week routine, because there are a lot of players and no League Cup. There are a lot of players who just aren't getting minutes and keeping them engaged is a big challenge. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Son Heung-min is by far and away Spurs' best route to goal. He's got seven in all competitions so far this season. And the South Korean has moved into a more central role to spearhead Tottenham's attack under Ange Postacoglu. So how has he adapted to that role so well? Let's hear from our tactics writer, Liam Tham. There were serious questions in the summer about how Spurs would adapt to that Harry Kane. He scored a huge chunk of their goals and of course his all-round attacking play and link-up play was really pivotal to their attack. Of course, new manager, new system, some new players and a new style, but Son Heung-min as the number nine has really gone a long way to to fill that Kane void. In fact, it might have gone even beyond what Kane had done previously last season in particular. Spurs, after nine games, are top of the league. They've won seven of their nine. Uh, They're unbeaten. And Son is second top scorer with seven in the Premier League, only earning Haaland with nine has more. It's a really interesting profile of number nine with Son because Ange Postacoglu strikers, and you'll see this at Celtic too, have always been sort of low-touch players. Their job hasn't been to drop deep like Kane used to. It's been to stay high, to try and pin the back line deeper, which is particularly essential when you look at how good James Madison has been in this system. And a big reason that's been able to occur is because Son is often pushing that back four deeper. His job now is to get on the ball in the box, to score goals, to attack cutbacks, to attack crosses. 
and running behind the high line often too. You look at his touches in the box, uh, up to 7.2 per game. Sure, it's a small sample size, but that's as high as it's ever been for Son in the Premier League, even though his touches as low as they've ever been overall in the Premier League. And that's over twice as many touches in the box he was getting uh, at the end of last season. His average shot distance is down inside 16 yards, so his average shot is coming well inside the box, and he's hitting the target with half of his shots. He's been really clinical. He's shown he can score one-touch finishes off cutbacks, and it makes a lot of sense. When you think about how good Son has been as a two-footed finisher from distance for a long time, it stands to reason perfectly that he could do this from closer range uh, in the penalty area. The only critique might be Son aerially, how Spurs would have to deal against more low blocks, against sort of high lines and teams that want to really play out and build from the back. I think Son is fantastic and his ability to repeatedly press is really, really key as well. He's got a bit more speed and a bit more pace than Kane too. probably important to know that Son was carrying a hernia injury for well all of last season the majority of it he has been phenomenal though hasn't he Charlie yeah I mean I think that is an important bit of context he talked about this to us in the summer um, on their tour about how he has he was playing with pain for most of last season now he looks fully fit uh, although that said he's still being managed like he's I think he's only completed the 90 minutes twice this season so that's quite exciting as well to think if he can fully shake off um these issues how good he could be but yeah I mean you know when Kane went I think a lot of people they didn't want to come out and say it publicly because the fans would have been uproar but you know the replacement such as it was is Son and and, and it's interesting as well because Postacoglu started with Richarlison through the middle first three games and it just wasn't really working both because Richarlison is lacking confidence but also because Son is just so much better through the middle than he is out on the left now and you've got to take advantage of your best players. And he is an absolutely world-class player. And he's showing that again. This might be the last time you mentioned Harry Kane today. But Adam, I, I guess I almost wondered if, if Som would also be a lesser of an impact without Harry Kane. It was almost the, the partnership that was, that was a success as well. Well, I suppose well. he's being fed by Madison instead now, isn't he? Mm. So, so that's kind of the creative side of it is being taken care of. I still think Son is like massively underrated. Like relative to to how consistent he is, the number of goals he scores, I think this season he's he's become a lot stronger. I th- I did think watching him last season, I didn't realise that around the the hernia issue, I thought he might have gone over that hill. That gone over the hill, it, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like I thought. Yeah. you know, he's a player that had relied on pace to a certain extent, that was making a lot of runs from left through the middle, and I thought, oh, how's he going to adapt his game? Is he going to be able to do that? Even when he was immediately made captain. He hasn't struck me as a natural captain, but managers, are, they're just looking for very different things these days in captains. Look at like when Erdegaard was made Arsenal captain, I think most people thought well, that's a bit odd. And then actually it just kind of makes sense once they start playing and they're consistent. Yeah, and, and he is so loved in the dressing room and that was a big reason. But, you know, the whole logic behind making him captain was that he is just, it kind of unites all the different areas of the dressing room. And the then you had, Yeah, kind of. And then Madison... You know, he's a big character with the English speakers. Then you've got Romero, who's the kind of voice for the Spanish-speaking players. So it kind of made sense. But I mean, also with Son, he has had some really good runs when Kane was out before. If you think that Champions League final that Spurs got to, Kane, you know, didn't really play in a lot of those games. He was out from the first leg against City, so missed the second leg, missed both Ajax legs. And Son was on a really good scoring run around that time. Uh, again, Kane got injured the following season. Son stepped up through the middle. So he he has shown he can do this and really thrive in it. Um, he strikes me as one of those players who 
the things he does incredibly well are almost unstoppable. I mean, that goal he scored against Fulham, I feel like I've seen that goal 40 times pretty much in terms of that finish. Well, and the key thing is he can go either way. He is so good with his left foot. I remember looking at this a few years ago and I think he was the second best for once you scored a number of Premier League goals, it having an equitable ratio of left and right foot. And it makes sense. He is lethal off either foot. And when you're that quick, if you stand a defender up and you can go either way, there really isn't a lot you can do as a defender. And he's shown that so many times. He's also, for people who care about these things, outscored his XG at a rate basically unlike anyone else in the Premier League since he's joined. I mean, some seasons he's scoring like seven goals more than the data would suggest he should, in inverted commas, be scoring. So to be consistently that good, because the point with XG normally is like, it'll catch up with you eventually. And I think last season was basically the only time that happened. Otherwise, it hasn't. He's just kept outscoring it. Just flipping it to the other end of the pitch, I did kind of, having seen Ange Postacoglu's Celtic side, I kind of wondered when he comes to Spurs, are they going to be a little bit open, a little bit naive at the back, especially with how high they want to press and all those things they want to create. But they look pretty comfortable defensively and the centre-backs seem to be key to that, Adam. What have you made of the pairing of Van de Ven and Romero? Yeah, I still think you can get at them. They, they will give you a chance. I think what they have is pace and aggression and that's what managers want now, above all, from, from these centre-backs. They don't really... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's very few strikes they have to dominate in the air these days, right? Like there's not that many you come up against that are going to bully you and knock you around and things like that. So it's far more about what can you do in terms of building up play? Um, can you keep up in a, in a race with, with these players and can you read the game? And I think that's what these two players seem to be good at. I still worry about Romero. Like he's still got, an accident in him or a, rec a bit of recklessness in him. It's being reined in to a certain extent, but you can very much see a situation where if Tottenham are going to lose games this season, it'll be because of that temperament just flips. Yeah. I mean, I think Van der Ven, I wrote about this recently, has completely transformed how Spurs can play. And it does remind me of Liverpool with Van Dijk and Arsenal with Saliba. When you've got someone that quick, it completely changes it. That, you know, you can just squeeze up and you look at them, they're playing in the opposition half. And it does remind, I remember when watching Liverpool live, you'd be like, they're only using half of the pitch. <laughs> this is incredible. And it's really, really difficult uh, to play against that. What they also do, they do take risks. Yeah. And, and yesterday you saw it on three or four occasions, they got counted on and a better team than Fulham probably takes one of those but they also are able to let teams counter them in a way because they do back themselves with van der ven and with romero's pace that they'll get back and having that that gives you so much license and freedom to keep getting forward and pushing numbers forward when you've got someone like van der ven who's just back there and so rapid it's also impressive because it took Tottenham quite a long time in the summer to get sense backs in yeah it was dragging like, on it, it was it was really like one of the kind of the stories of the summer in terms of what I could see of Postacoglu press conferences just kept being asked yeah. where's the centre back are you going to get the centre back and then even when Van der Ven came I think there was a few people with doubts and it was like is it a club signing is it a Postacoglu signing who's you know who's found this guy he wasn't sort of someone that was being linked with every you know when you look at the amount of players that Chelsea have bought at centre back mm -hmm. over the last year or so he wasn't someone that kept coming up in those conversations. So no, like so far he's done really well. I, th I think Doggy's been brilliant as well. I love watching him he's play. Amazing. He's been, I, him against Saka, I thought was one of the most impressive recoveries mm. I've seen in a game in terms of, he just got torn inside out for 20 minutes and was on a yellow card. And you think Almost he's- gave a goal away. Yeah, you think he's done, but just sort of 
battled his way back into it and probably ended the game stronger. I do, I do think that that back four is an area where Postecoglou will feel very settled and happy. Before we move on, remember you can listen to the Athletics award-winning Spurs podcast, The View from the Lane with Charlie and a rotating cast of experts on the North London Club, available twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts. I find it really interesting what it must be like to be in an Ange Postacoglu press conference at the moment, because other media organisations do seem to be having quite a lot of fun. I can't imagine Sir Alex Ferguson ever being asked about the Fonz. It was him and the Fonz, mate. <laughs> What's it like being in there and... And is there actually an argument that maybe Ange Postacoglu deserves a little bit more respect from some of the questions he's being asked? I mean, some of them are, yeah, he's been asked about, he was asked <laughs> if he'd heard of Robbie Williams or was familiar with Robbie Williams. And it, well, he did give a great answer, like, I mean, I'm from Australia, I'm not from, like, <laughs> I mean, like living on a different planet. Um, he's really, really good. And I've written a piece about his oratory and how good it is. He's just so interesting. And I think... What it is, is that he has a hinterland, he has a world outside of football, and you get that in the press conference. And there have been times I have been like, this is just such a joy to listen to him. He's so wise, he's so insightful on such a range of topics. And, you know, Conte, by the end, was pretty tetchy, and his English is amazing, Antonio Conte. But having a native English speaker, I do think, can help in press conferences, just because you, you don't have to make any compromises on what you're saying, whereas I'm sure Conte, even though his English was basically perfect, of course, in your second or third or fourth language with some of these managers, you're going to have little crutches you rely on and sort of go into autopilot a bit. So I do think that allows Postacoglu to be more expansive. And he's talked about it before. He said language is one of his biggest weapons. And you can see that because he's so persuasive in what, in, in what he says and the way he says it. Which does almost open him up to being asked about anything. In a world of weirdos, he's quite normal, right? <laughs> like that's, that's basically, that's basically yeah. it. We're, we're sort of used to hearing about, oh, he's in at the training ground at six in the morning. He's the last to leave. He's working on his whiteboard at home till 3am. He's not talking to his family. Do you know what I'm like? So, which we glorify. Which we glorify. Football. Yeah, yeah, totally. And he, he just seems quite measured. Every time I listen to him, I'm just like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Right? And there doesn't seem to be that many alternative agendas at play as well. You, you sort of get these managers who are playing kind of weird games often whether it's upwards or downwards or with the fans or with officials like and clearly like this is all a lot easier when you win seven, yeah. seven of your first nine games of course you know it, it's not going to be like this forever but that said he does challenge people you know if you do ask him a question because what what tends to happen with football press conferences or i imagine any media things that he'll say something so he said the fonz thing off his own bat that wasn't anything that was asked and it was hilarious then obviously the following week he's asked about it again and it's kind of like the moment's obviously gone or like you know the one week he talked about a podcast he listened to next week what podcast you listening to and he's he's actually quite dismissive of those kind of gimmicky things but he just but he does it in a way that's quite funny and I don't know doesn't seem rude because you're kind of like yeah fair play that wasn't a great question. It feels like there's a disarming element to him, which kind of totally. emboldens people to then ask the questions, which must make it really interesting being a player under him because you probably, and I remember this being said about him at Celtic as well, you kind of want him to really like you, but you know you're not going to get it back and it's like yeah. a futile <laughs> yeah, effort. Yeah. But by the same token, he will still probably be able to bring the best out of you if it's if it's working out, of course, which uh, 
you know, we'll see in the long term whether it does or not. But is there a danger that this can get figured out in terms of Postacoglu Spurs as they are now? And I'm saying this with a particular idea that Manchester City are coming up on December the 3rd and Pep Guardiola has a pretty good knack of revealing a blueprint for how to beat a team. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that's maybe where the squad thing again becomes um, more important because, yeah, over the course of a season, even Pep himself has shown, you know, he's kind of ripped things up midway through a season and started playing a different way. But that helps if you've got, as Pep tends to have 16 or 17 elite players that you can sort of do that with, that becomes harder if you don't have all of those backups. I, th- I think as well, Charlie, Postacoglu won't try and sort of rip everything up on no. the basis of losing against Man City, right? Like He will just view that as a learning, ex- I imagine, a learning experience for the players. And I, I expect, certainly in his first season, often he will just double down and say, we need to do this better. Totally. I, th- I, I would imagine. Yeah, that's what I was going to come on to. I think it, he is very much a, you know, it's not about a plan B or a plan C, it's about doing plan A better. So that's, I think, where the conflict will come because inevitably they will lose a game to a team that they should be and they'll be open and exposed and everyone will say to him, but have you got a compromise? You know, it's a, there's one, you know, no, I'm all for attacking football, but there's also a time you've got to be pragmatic and he'll just dismiss it and say, no, I'm going to keep playing this way. And people are kind of going to have to accept that. And maybe that will be to Spurs' detriment. Who knows? Maybe there will be times when he does need to be a bit more flexible, but at the but that's hypothetical at the moment because when you're winning seven and drawing two of your first nine, it looks like it's working just fine. Exactly, and at this point, it's very easy to talk about what success looks like this season because you know there's almost no pressure on it because it's going really well, so you can't lose surely. But the longer it goes on, and I guess the more this sustains, the more maybe those goals sharpen into focus. But there is a question there, I suppose, Adam, in, in terms of how how will these expectations evolve at Spurs as the season goes on. I think that, you know, this next block of games, right, if you were to get to the Man City game in, was it early December? Mm. And, and if you're still kind of within a point or two of the top, then I think, you know, people look at that and say, well, they've played almost all, all the teams and they've only got one game a week and all these different other squads are going to get stretched. So you've got, you know, you've got a chance. I don't think they'll win the league. I don't think they'll come that close to winning the league, to be honest, just because I... I expect Man City and Liverpool in particular to to pull away at some point. Arsenal, I think, will be closest. But I think they've got a really good chance of being best of the rest. You know, I would, I would be very, very surprised if they finish below fourth, I would say. How does that make you feel, Charlie? Yeah, I think, I think that's... Um... That's probably right. And on the question of like what success looks like, Postacoglu has been very consistent on this, which is the fans will tell him. If the fans have enjoyed the season, if they like coming to the stadium every week, if they're looking forward to games, then that makes it a success. And the... I think you'll find Daniel Levy will tell him, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, in theory, then the results take care of themselves. But obviously, I mean, we saw it a bit with Arsenal last season, didn't we? That, you know, at the start, it was this kind of, magical journey and everyone was just saying good on them but then once you do start well you you become bottlers if you don't then see off City the best team quality wise probably we've ever had in this country or certainly one of them and and that's the thing and that's what Spurs if we're talking about going for the title that is what they're up against they're up against a juggernaut but I think yeah if you just on looking on outcomes I think getting in the top four or five would be would be a success. Uh, the last team to win eight of the first ten games and not finish in the top four 
uh, slash five were Newcastle in 94-95. So essentially beat Palace and Champions League football <laughs> is confirmed. Uh, thank you so much, Charlie, for thank joining you. us. Thank you, Adam, too. Thank you. And thanks too, to Liam Thumb for his contribution. Uh, don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic today for one ninety nine a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening and good day. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.